Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. I'm Mike Berberich, the Senior Director of Marketing Futures and the host of this episode. Artificial intelligence touches just about every facet of our modern lives, and its effect on marketing cannot be overstated. So when you want to learn about what's now new and next in AI, who do you turn to other than the folks that are building it? Today, we're joined by Antonio Maiorino and Alberto Mario Pirovano of Helixa to talk about the evolving world of marketing automation. From next-gen chatbots to natural language processing, the two shared a peek behind the curtain of the new developments in their company and discussed what other innovations could come from cracking the code of processing natural language through AI. Ladies and gentlemen, I am... uh, this is becoming a little more uh, frequent and I'm loving it. We have guests from across the sea. I am so, so excited to bring into the Virtual Marketing Futures podcast studio today, Alberto Mario Pirovano and Antonio Maiorino from Helixa. So I am going to just give the mic right now to these two incredibly smart people. I want you to know, I want you to know who they are and what they're working on right now. So um, I'm just going uh, alphabetical by first name, Alberto Mario. uh, Why don't you kick us off? Yes. Uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, My name is Alberto Pirovan and I am machine learning engineer here at at Telixa. Um, and here I focus on uh, researching and developing uh, new algorithms. Uh, in particular, we explore uh, hypotheses and we run experiments on this um, on our um, uh, on our data sets. And um, and besides that, I work as a team on the end to end, from research to production. Basically, this is what I do in the in the day by day. Very good, Antonia. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for Helixa. Yeah, Michael. So. Um, uh, I work in the team uh, in the same team as Alberto. I work at Elixir as a data scientist, and I'm a statistician. So I'm focused. Um, well, we kind of do uh, a lot of things in Elixir, but I'm mostly focused on you know the part of statistical modeling and ensuring the statistical correctness of our uh, data and of the outputs of our platform. All right. So before we begin uh, to dive into the details, can you tell me a little bit about Helixa, the company, and kind of why it exists and what its mission is. So Helixa's main focus is to disrupt the market research business, I'd say. And that's because we work in a, uh, we work in a field that's been very static for a long time. Everything's been, uh, you know, conducted via field service, things that take months to complete normally. And what uh, our mission is, is basically to uh, reduce the time to market for our customers to get their insight. So to get the information they want from a target audience uh, they're interested in. This is game changing because, uh, you know, it allows to uh, take decisions much more, much more quickly. And also by including several different data sources, uh, such as social media, official census data, uh, classical market research data, we get a much richer and correct picture of the reality of the world. So I'm just going to jump right in because we've got a lot to cover and I just want uh, you to be able to share your experiences and your POV uh, as much of that with our audience as possible. So um, Alberto Mario, if you, if you don't mind, I'd love to start 
with one of Helix's focuses, which is currently natural language processing. Now, this is a notoriously tricky AI capability to quote unquote, get right. So what are the primary challenges with that? And how has Helixa addressed them or, or is looking to address them? Yes, that's correct. Uh, basically, natural language, pro natural language processing is not easy because there are many factors that make this process uh, very hard. Millions of people uh, use um, a certain language every day, but uh, everyone uh, uses it in a slightly different way. Uh, you know, on top of that, uh, languages um, are changing every day with new words, uh, new, rule, uh, new, new, new rules, and etc. Um, in fact, uh, a natural language can have hundreds of, um, of, of uh, thousands of different words and uh, um, a lot of words are created on the fly and this makes the task very, very complex. Um, languages are also used in a, in, a, in a very messy way. So I'm pretty sure I've made at least uh, five uh, errors uh, uh, since the, the beginning of, uh, of this conversation. And the correct usage of, uh, of language requires education, experience, and um, not all people have these uh, skills. Uh, lastly, every language is, um, is unique. So we can have English in which we have words, sentences, and paragraphs. Uh, while, for example, in other languages uh, like uh, Thai, uh, we don't have um, the concept of sentences. So every language is unique. So we have to build the specific uh, technology for each for each language and this makes the task very difficult in elixa uh, when we we uh, work on natural language we uh, keep in mind uh, two tasks the first is um, is that we always have in mind that we have to manage across language data and uh, uh, we keep this in mind because for us it's very important uh, to represent every language and every specific part of, uh, of the world. And secondly, uh, we need to understand the personality, intentions and emotions from uh, what people post on social media. So these are the two most important things that we keep in mind. For us, uh, all this part is uh, effortless. So we, we, we do, uh, we understand language uh, uh, without problems. Uh, for example, if we read a web page, uh, with list tables, uh, uh, we get immediately without any problems. Uh, um, machines, uh, for machines, uh, is very difficult to do this task because understanding and keeping the context updated uh, while uh, the, the text is analyzed is very complex. The, the trick is that uh, while designing our algorithms, uh, we always keep in mind how humans uh, uh, do the task that we are modeling. Um, and to do that, we stay up to date with the latest uh, deep learning research that has been inspired by neuroscience, so basically how the human brain works. And, uh, um, and this is the, the, the way in which we um, basically approach our problems. We start from the brain of from the way humans solve the, the task and we go back trying to inject this uh, information into our uh, modeling and design uh, uh, part and that's pretty pretty much how we do it so is there a sense that unlocking the key to natural language processing might serve as a domino effect that could enable other ai capabilities or are you finding that you know, distilling human languages is kind of a task unto itself and a very singular ai capability 
That's correct. So I, I think that natural language processing is the base for many other AI capabilities that can be built on top of uh, on top of it. Uh, we can have traditional ones and uh, and very edge ones. For example, natural language processing makes it possible for humans to talk uh, uh, to machines. It's the, the branch of AI that enables computer to understand, interpret, and manipulate uh, human language. So basically, language is the bridge between humans and machines. In this setting, we can think at many AI capabilities that, that can be uh, unlocked by these, uh, by basically NLP improvements. Examples can be uh, intelligent routing in content delivery networks. Uh, for example, uh, we can also think about RPA, that is a robot process automation. That means automating uh, tasks that, that are rule-based and that are typical of a traditional business. Uh, for example, we can think about uh, uh, banks uh, that have uh, this kind of an analysis of uh, documents uh, or maybe healthcare in which we want to analyze uh, the, um, the diagnosis. So basically, we, we, we want to interact uh, with uh, a computer and uh, help the computer to do exactly the, the job that, that we want to uh, perform. Here at Elixa, we are thinking into defining queries with natural language instead of manually specifying the variables involved in the query. It's like saying, uh, I want uh, all the, uh, the football teams in Italy. Instead of uh, selecting by hand uh, Juventus, Milan, Roma, you say, give me all the football teams. And the engine will give you all the football teams dynamically, basically. Talking about uh, traditional businesses, uh, one of the most available uh, AI capabilities unlocked by NLP is, uh, as I said, robot process automation. Uh, this refers to automating repetitive rule-based businesses um, involving data processing or, uh, or routing. Um, this uh, task reduces the cost and increases the profitability for, enterprising, for enterprises by freeing workers uh, to focus on high-value, uh, higher-value work. So basically, workers doing uh, repetitive jobs uh, will be freed on this, and they will be um, dedicated to uh, most available uh, uh, things. And companies are using these RPL to, uh, RPA tools uh, to configure uh, automation script uh, that can be often referred as, um, as robots. Uh, so these, in my opinion, are the most important AI capabilities that today can help the society, both from uh, an industrial point of view or maybe from uh, a point of view of a company that handles data. That's incredible. So this really can, this really does have the potential to be a major key that unlocks almost like a, a new generation of AI almost in a way. Um, so exciting. And so from, from kind of thinking about what, what can be and what, what, what's on the horizon, let's bring it back to a very, very familiar piece of AI technology, the chatbot. Um, now we've seen this uh, at ANA Marketing Future de deployed by brands for a wide range of reasons. So you know your chatbot can be answering the low-hanging fruit questions on your website, and it just frees up your customer service and gets information that that's you know your FAQ. You can bring it to life. Uh, we've also seen a resort in Las Vegas create a chatbot with its own personality that serves as a tour guide and actually like had a, a concrete. Um, result on on restaurants that were a little more out of the way because the chatbot would literally guide them to the front door. Um, so 
we see a lot of possibilities with this, but I would love to know what um, you and what the, the team at Helixis see as the future of the chatbot. What, what are the possibilities of this pretty malleable piece of technology? So let's start by the uh, re reasons why chatbots will uh, uh, will have a raise in the next uh, years, in my opinion. First of all, uh, everyone is adopting them because uh, uh, consumers are becoming more comfortable using chatbots uh, to discuss their issues. Um, the second reason can be that there is a shortage of domain experts, so uh, people have to come up with a way to automate also this task. And uh, another reason is that more de deployment of chatbots to manage customer experience are, um, are coming up. So uh, also an increased sophistication of conversational AI platforms are leading to a greater percentage of inquiries being completed entirely via chatbots. So chatbots can be trusted, let's say, uh, in um, nowadays. Um, and these technologies can enable banks and financial, uh, and financial institutions to reduce costs with a significant improvement in uh, customer satisfaction. They are establishing a two-way communication um, with the user, and in many case in, uh, cases, they are uh, replacing channels, tra traditional channels uh, like uh, phone, email, or, uh, or text. So um, customer basically can ask questions and uh, receive uh, um, an answer about their, their issues in a conversational manner, and uh, this is also um, better for them and more appealing. Um, we can think about two applications uh, that are healthcare and, uh, as I said, banks, uh, insurance, and the financial institutions. Talking about healthcare, the growing use of chatbots uh, is expected uh, to free up the medical staff time and save uh, countries' healthcare system around 3.7 billion by 2023. And this is, uh, this is crazy. If, if you think about it, it means that uh, uh, a business is moving in this direction and uh, everyone is investing in this, uh, in this technology. Yeah, that's a wildly big number um, for what we've said is a pretty, you know, I don't want to devalue the chatbot, but as far as AI applications, it's a pretty fundamental rudimentary thing, but you know, it can, yeah, the, the opportunity to, to save three point, what was the 3.6 billion? Yeah. 3.6 billion in, in arguably the most, you know, important sector of yeah, basically, uh, industry. If, if you think about that, it, it means that uh, uh, many customer services like uh, uh, PayTV, uh, all these things can be automated uh, by, by either using a chatbot to completely replace the physical person or also use the, the chatbot to uh, be an advisor for the, um, for the, uh, for the person that, that, that is keeping the conversation, the real conversation with the user. So basically it can be an add-on for the uh, uh, specific person. Yeah, also you, you can think also at um, uh, automating uh, uh, interactions and uh, actions that are triggered by chatbots. So for example, you, you have a conversation uh, with the customer service and then you want to trigger a, a, a transaction to uh, a specific uh, uh, entity. This can be also automated with, uh, as I said, a chatbot, a, fl a flow, a start from the conversation and arrives uh, to, the, uh, to the final decision. Basically. 
so now we've kind of heard what, uh, you know, what, what is coming and, and some of the promise of AI, I want to pivot a little bit to some of the concerns, some of the challenges uh, on a bit of a higher level. So, uh, Antonio, I'm going to throw this one to you. So as artificial intelligence continues to permeate every part of our lives, as we've just been talking about in good in great detail, we're seeing problems with the bias and inequity being baked into AI systems. So what are some of the foundational reasons we're seeing this? So, Michael, I'd say that that I will take a step back here and, first of all, try to explain what uh, an AI system really is, what, uh, I mean, how it really works, what makes it so special. By oversimplifying a little bit, we can say that an AI system is just a statistical system. Uh, this statistical system tries to learn or synthesize knowledge from a set of data, which is a possibly very large set of data, uh, in the with the hope that this synthesis, which is also called uh, normally a training or learning process uh, in a technical jargon, uh, is able to make the model able to generalize to new and previously unseen data points. Um, this capability is actually what makes AI really great and really useful in practice. Uh, so. Having said so, we can see that the main components of an AI system are really two, which is which are the algorithm and the data that's used to train it. Typically, we've seen, uh, especially in the recent years, the algorithms take the stage. Uh, you know, with the rise of deep learnings, uh, we always hear about a lot, a lot of hype discussions about this new, very cool model, this new algorithm. But what's, I mean, uh, what we have to consider is that data is just as important. Because in the end, a machine learning model can only be as good and unbiased as is the data that's used to train it. So to answer your question, uh, bias being baked into AI systems is surely a problem and can surely come from the model or the errors that can be, you know, um, uh, injected involuntarily by the developers on the modeling level. But when developing an AI system, one, I would say that one must also carefully analyze the data that's being used. Uh, that being used to train it because that's a very sneaky and uh, you know it's probably also the biggest source of bias in algorithms, especially for deep learning, because you know the deep learning models uh, they 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 pass over data over and over again. That's their uh, their their point, you know, and they squeeze all the knowledge they can find in the data, and this means that if the data is biased, then uh, these algorithms would be particularly effective. Yeah, I can just uh, picture a deep learning system being given a, a you know, confirmation bias uh, data thing. It will just get more like, you know, its job is to get better at whatever you assign it to. So, yeah, if you're giving it a biased piece of data or a biased body of data at the very beginning, um, yeah, it will just keep listing further and further toward that end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the end, with the deep learning or supervised learn what we call supervised learning in general is you try to teach something to a machine and what you uh, do as a let's say human labeler human supervisor is give them uh, give the algorithm some ground truth and that's the only thing that algorithms can do treat the data as as true mm. do, do you feel that um the kind of I don't want to say mainstream approach, but your conventional approach to creating algorithms. Do you think on a technology standpoint that we're in a good place and that it's really about representation in data and maybe even representation in coders? 
or do you think that there's there are things with the algorithm that still are you know with the nature of an algorithm that still need to be figured out to get more close to a truly human AI system? I think that we are not even close to a truly human uh, AI uh, system, to truly human AI systems. Our methods, uh, you know, the ones uh, that arose in the in the past years, are becoming very popular because they are solving tasks that were previously unthinkable to be solved by humans. But they are very, very specific tasks, and they are, uh, you know, they're they're they typically excel in tasks that human would excel anyway. Tasks that are uh, that do not require uh, reasoning, that do not require uh, um, comparing different pieces of information on a very complex level. So I'd say that our um, even if the models are called deep learning models, their knowledge is not very deep. It's just that it's a term that. Uh, invokes more the structure of the model. In order to have a you know, truly intelligent AI system, um, what, there is a lot, a lot of research that's actively uh, going on there. But even the major institutions are, um, are not there yet because uh, there are a whole lot of uh, things that make us human very peculiar, very particular, of course. It's not just you can take a bunch of data, give it to an algorithm, and expect it to uh, think like a human. So there is the knowledge about the world, some things that you learn as you grow, experiences, emotions, these things. Also, as Alberto was saying, are especially true for NLP. And it's a, it's a very complex challenge. And I'd say, yeah, it will take still a long time. Yeah, I was about to say that, yeah, that kind of ties back to our uh, earlier conversation. Yeah, if the human language is uh, hard to nail down, the human thought process, yeah, I feel like we're, we're still a few generations off from that. So before we get to the really hard questions, uh, I wanted to, um, you know, we're talking a lot about this, you know, unfairness and inequity in AI. Um, Antonio and Alberto Mario, if you want to uh, jump in on this as well, I'd love to hear your thoughts just in general on diversity and inclusion. Okay, so this is a very, very important topic. And personally, I strongly believe that having a um, uh, you know, a diverse and inclusive community is not a nice to have. It's a paramount priority. This should be true for any community, really. But when it comes to the AI community, it's even more true because it's founded on a much deeper level. I mean, it has practical implications on a day-to-day uh, basis, also for, on, um, you know, operational tasks. For example, think about the process um, that uh, I was mentioning uh, before, which is... Uh, the very core of machine learning, like uh, annotation of uh, data or the evaluation of an algorithm's output. Imagine you have a lab with a um, blatant lack of diversity. So uh, in this case, uh, you could have some severe consequences because people working on these tasks might not even think of a possible bias or a possible ethical problem with the algorithm. It, it could produce sever- severely flawed or skewed algorithm. And this also happened, I mean, it, this happens in practice many times. For example, uh, a couple of months ago, I read about a paper accepted at a major computer vision conference. And its purpose was to upscale images. Upscaling means like, you know, in sci-fi movies, when they take a small frame of an image and they, uh, they make the, the face of the criminal pop up very, very clearly. Yeah, it's like an enhancement algorithm. And they have a super, super zoom features basically. And well, 
uh, there was a Twitter discussion that <laughs> took the AI world by storm because uh, somebody tried to give this algorithm a blurred version of Barack Obama as an input and it would reconstruct a white man. This is, this is crazy because, of course, I mean, the algorithm was never trained to understand uh, race, to understand uh, gender, any concept. But in this case, the problem was probably, I mean, we, we don't know for sure, or at least I have never uh, dig deep enough on that to say for sure, but probably it's linked to the fact that the data used to train it had a much bigger portion of uh, white people with respect to other races or ethnicities. So the algorithm just squeezed that, that information. And this is just to show one example of a lack of diversity uh, have, might, might have an impact. Not saying that this particular paper had this problem, but it's something that can happen. Yeah, and it just unconsciously it can happen. Um, I was talking to somebody uh, the other day about like, yeah, if you just asked a you know white American male to be like, oh, name a few geniuses. Oh yeah, Newton, Einstein. Uh, you got. And you're just absolutely, you know, cutting off in the obvious, in the common sense, in the, oh, yeah, obviously, the, these are some great examples. You're cutting off 95% of, you know, the human experience uh, be, for, the, for what's easy, for, you know, what's quick and what's, what's done. And, yeah, so I think that that is a great way of tying in this AI conversation to diversity and inclusion, which I absolutely agree with you is just a paramount priority for brands looking to stick around, honestly, um, in any vertical. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, as just keeping on that line, think about the polarization in the AI, in the AI research community. I mean, the, what you said is, is, uh, is perfect, is uh, spot on, because um, we know that the AI world is not, AI research world is not equally distributed uh, globally. So there are some superpowers, which are namely the US and also China is catching up rapidly. But there is a whole uh, lot of countries and a whole lot of communities which don't have as much of a say as the AI superpowers, we can say. And so I think that a um, more inclusive environment would benefit everybody, really. Here, here. Um, so, gentlemen, uh, first, thank you so much. Uh, you made me smarter. You made the audience smarter. Um, this has just been a lot of fun so far. So it kind of pains me that I have to come with the really hard hitting questions. Now, uh, we asked this of all of our guests, no mercy. Uh, and I'm going to need answers for both of you. Uh, you've done just a great job tag teaming, but now I'm going to really need both, both answers from both of you. Alberto Mario, Antonio, what is your favorite album of all time and why? I don't know how to answer that. That's too difficult. <laughs> no, I mean... Correctly is how you should answer. <laughs> <laughs> too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a very tough one, indeed. Well, personally, I would this say... This is hard-hitting journalism. I'm sorry, but we, we, I pull no punches. <laughs> yeah, if I, really had, if I really had to answer that, I would say that being a huge rock fan, rock music fan, um, I mean, one of the albums that characterized my listening experience as a young listener is a big classic, being The Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. I don't think that I need to explain a reason why for me it's a great album. No, it speaks by itself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is just, that is something you can get lost in. Yeah. Alberto Mario, favorite album of all time and why? I have to say that I'm not really, really a great fan of music, but uh, clearly 
Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Californication for me is one of the best because clearly speaks about uh, California and America and the American dream. So I really like uh, California because uh, I've been in San Francisco and that was one of the greatest time of my life. So uh, for sure, Californication is uh, my choice. Oh, that sounds like a music fan's answer to me. But uh, so that's great. So then I'm going to, uh, I will expand this uh, a little bit. So um, I'm going to give you the option. What are you listening to now? Like song or artist or podcast or book? What, what are you stimulating your brains with now? And, and why? Why are you enjoying it? Um, so r- right now I'm listening to James Taylor. So it's, it's a song that for me has a, a real value because uh, uh, my cousin that is my best friend uh, dedicated it to me uh, a few years ago. So for me, uh, Mexico and uh, You've Got a Friend are the songs that uh, right now I'm, I'm listening to. Uh, and reading, I'm reading uh, uh, L'Ombra del Vento. It is a book of uh, Zafon. It is uh, a Spanish guy uh, talking about uh, Barcelona and talking about this, uh, um, this library of books. And uh, I suggest uh, the book because it's uh, really cool. I don't know how to say it in English, but. Uh, but that's fantastic. And yeah, James, James Taylor, you can list. There's, that's not a bad option any day of the week, any time of the day. Yeah, Antonio, he won also a, a Grammy for uh, the best song uh, of uh, 1971. I, I'm reading now. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm gonna, his songs are going to be playing in my head for the rest of the day. And thank you for that. Um, Antonio, what are you listening to? What are you reading? What, what is, what's keeping those synapses firing when you're not uh, busy plotting the future of AI? <laughs> so, well, I have to say that recently I've been exploring quite uh, different, different things, both in uh, uh, literature and music for uh, what, I, what I usually, you know, read or listen to. And that's because I'm, you know, I've been listening to a lot of rock music for uh, basically all my life. But in the past few years, I've come across electronic music and especially uh, uh, I'm listening to a particular label, which is called Warp Records. And it's very peculiar because they they are all about, they are a group of artists. Uh, I mean, they represent a group of, art, of artists who are uh, exploring a lot of new possibilities with synthesizers and just sound waves, things that are not easy to reach with traditional instruments. So that's something that was was curious for me, and I'm enjoying that a lot. Regarding also literature, I've never been really a big sci-fi fan, but. I'm currently reading uh, Philip Dick books. Now I'm into The Man in the High Castle. So, well, I guess that's a pretty, pretty famous book. No need. I, I was uh, going to say, if you're, you know, you're going to do sci-fi, you might as well uh, pick one of the best. So, yeah. I, yeah. Well, oh, my God. I, uh, Philip K. Dick, I, I love that. Love that whole, uh, just everything. He's yeah. Reading. Don't tell me how it ends. <laughs> Still, I won't. I won't. <laughs> you're going to enjoy it, though. Um, uh, Antonio Alberto Mario, thank you so so much for taking time out of your day to uh, come to the Virtual Marketing Futures Podcast Studio and get us all hip on the future of AI. Um, hopefully, we can do it uh, do it again sometime. This was fun. Thanks for thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks for you, Michael. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. Got an idea for an upcoming topic or guest? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ANA.net. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. 
And as always, if you want more innovation goodness, head on over to marketingfutures.ana.net.